0: Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore. We are all lifelong learners, and nowhere is this more relevant than in the practice of leadership. Our goal is continual learning and improvement. Let's get after it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Hey folks, this is M.K. Palmore. Welcome to another edition of the Leadership Student Podcast. Uh, this week, we have uh, Gene Faye, uh, who is the CEO of ThreadX, which is a uh, cybersecurity uh, company uh, concentrating in the secure API and application space uh, based in Boston. Uh, Gene is a uh, longtime uh, leader, uh, security uh, guru, and uh, we're going to have a conversation <laughs> with him about our about, about uh, leadership, talk a little bit about his leadership journey, and, uh, and hopefully uh, extract some gems out of that conversation. So Gene, welcome to the podcast.
2: Awesome. MK, really appreciate the opportunity. And for our listeners, uh, MK was just on my uh, uh, podcast, so I'm super excited to do uh, his podcast and uh, should be a good, uh, really good conversation, judging on how our conversation went during the um, uh, recording of the Executive Security Podcast.
1: Yeah, awesome. A little reciprocity here. I certainly yeah. appreciate, appreciate appreciate you joining me here on the Leadership Student. Uh Gene, I've been having these conversations with uh with guests throughout the industry and quite frankly across several different industry verticals. I've been passionate about the topic of the leadership nearly my entire life and I, I think that I personally always get something out of these conversations and I'm sure uh, my listeners will as well. So um for those maybe that are uh unfamiliar with ThreadX, why don't we start there? Uh, sure. Tell us a little bit about the ThreadX story, um, how the company was founded, and uh, where you guys, you know, what space you guys occupy in the technology sector.
2: Absolutely. So the company now has been around for a little over nine years. Um, I'm not one of the founders. Uh, I do work closely with our two founders, uh, Andreas Usex and uh, Brett Settle, uh, but they started the company originally in Texas, moved it to Colorado. Uh, When I took over uh, officially our headquarters is still in Colorado, but uh, about 50% of our team now is based in New England and uh, we have an office in uh, New Hampshire, as well as in Boston. Uh, So it's been a a great run. I've been here for three years. uh, And uh, when I got here really uh, typically when a a new CEO comes in uh, to take over for a founder led company, uh, the advice you get is get rid of the founders. Uh, because uh, it's not always their idea to bring in an executive over them and they get uh, rather, uh, you know, a lot of animosity. But I'm uh, really happy to say at ThreadX, I work really closely with both founders as well as the rest of the leadership team and the whole team uh, to really drive uh, our business. And we're focused on API and application protection, uh, which uh, Gartner states is uh, APIs are the, uh, the most attacked vector today. Uh, so somebody's bad news is somebody's good news. All these corporate websites that are getting hit and their, uh, APIs, uh, are getting attacked. Uh, we have a great solution. So we've got lots of big corporate customers, uh, which I won't name any of them. So they don't yell at me for using their name in a public format. Uh, but lots of really global brands that we use. Uh, basically we, we have software that sits between, their website and the world wide web and uh we make sure the bad guys don't get through
1: what uh, what size company are we talking about in terms of uh,
2: person? So we are 50 people uh so i think we'll probably uh, maybe not double next year but uh growing at a good clip but it's a it's a great size to be uh, a part of the company as well as from my perspective to be the leader of the company uh, i'm doing one-on-ones with all of our employees uh, this quarter and I say to all of them, I'm like, the reason I work for a 50 person company is because I can spend time on these types of calls, doing one-on-ones and getting to know them and their uh, you know, life's ambitions and their likes and dislikes about ThreadX and, and then equally do something about it. So it's a, it's a really fun size. Now I'm looking forward to when we're three, four, 500 people and we have all the potential to do that. And it'll be a very different company when we do it. But 50 is a great, great size.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, three, four hundred people will make um, your ability to have that kind of access to employees at all levels very different. Yeah. 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 yeah, it'll, yeah. It'll, I mean, it'll, be group, it'll be the, group of the meetings,
2: culture. right? Yeah. Exactly. I say to the 50 people, I'm like, it's awesome to get to know you when we bring in our two hundred and fifty first person. I'm probably not going to be able to offer my cell phone and say, hey, call me anytime. I mean, I will. But my ability to get to know that person versus at 50 uh, where I can do some mentoring coaching and equally get feedback. Uh, they feel comfortable enough at 50 to really do that. So it is again, a fun size company to be a part of. Right. Awesome.
1: So Gene, I, I want to take it back a little bit and maybe talk about your career trajectory, uh, uh, where you got started in the industry and uh, take us all the way up to uh, your position with, uh, with ThreadX. So tell us a little bit about your professional background.
2: Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, I, I, I tell the professional story to tell a little the personal story because I think it sets a tone to how I end up where I am. I uh, grew up uh, in a town called Cranford, New Jersey on the, the poorer side of town but uh, grew up with some kids with money, some kids that didn't have money. I, I was poor. maybe on the uh, still had parents that were hardworking but there wasn't a, I always say there's a lot of there's a lot of trust but there won't be any funds at the end of it uh but uh my parents hardworking people my father worked for the the county and uh and my mother was a nurse and when i graduated college uh their advice was find the biggest company and find out what the retirement package was and i was uh 21 22 and i was like ah i said i'm gonna go into high-tech sales I said no you don't go into sales like you don't go don't never take a job where you don't know exactly how much money you're gonna make and don't take any risk. Again, go work for a big company. Well, I, I didn't follow their advice, uh, though it was great advice. And I've got a brother who's a retired uh, police officer. A sister is a very successful teacher. They did follow that, that more uh, uh, conservative approach. But uh, I, I really wanted to do something uh, what I didn't know, you know necessarily entrepreneurial. I, I knew I aspired uh, to, and, and had a willingness to take big risks. And uh, you know, and, and I've done that. So I've worked for six startups. Uh, one of them I started on my own, the rest I joined uh, early, uh, usually sub a uh, million dollars or sub revenue. And uh, it's a it's a big part of uh, what's ultimately allowed me to become the CEO uh, today. And that is underlying uh, taking leadership roles or uh, demonstrating leadership capabilities, even when I wasn't the leader. When I, when I think about working at a moving company, there's three guys. Nobody's really in charge, but I, I made it my 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 point to, you know, be be the unofficial crew chief. Like, okay, I'll, I'll deal with the customer and that sort of stuff. And even when I had different sales roles, where I wasn't the the district sales manager or the sales leader on the team. I always like let the junior people know or the people that were just joining, like, hey, call me. I'm more than willing to tell you how the job's done and and, and what uh, needs to be done. and And I think that I think that's probably you know maybe first pers- first piece of advice is like, if you want to become a leader, uh, act like a leader. Now don't boss people around when you're not in charge, but you know establish that people can come to you, give give people a level of trust um that that you can help to guide them and and help them to become better at whatever your whatever type of team you're leading or or i should say whatever part of a team you're you're a part of uh help everybody by by leading by example and and demonstrating leadership capabilities and, and offering to help those that are new to the team
1: yeah so that that's a fantastic concept you know in the in the military we call that uh you know lead from where you stand Regardless of what your position yeah. happens to be uh, in, in this particular scenario, wherever you happen to be in the team, maybe you're not the designated team leader, but you're a part of it. And I think people are uh, are consistently looking for that kind of guidance and for folks to step yeah. up and sort of take those leadership roles. So that, that's an outstanding example of how anyone can be a leader, even if you're not in the designated position of leadership.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So you, you, you um, sort of have this ethos about stepping in making sure that you're accountable, being a leader on your own. Uh, how has that helped you uh, throughout your career? You mentioned a couple of entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. I have yeah. to suspect that you know the uh, it probably shows an ability on your part to build teams quickly, maybe from, a, from the agile aspect of it. Can you talk a little bit about um, what all goes into that kind of team building and what you've seen work and not work?
2: Yeah, I, I think when it comes to uh, being a part of a team and then uh, building teams, uh, I it, it was just happened to have a a, a guy in, uh, giving me a price on a generator. He's a you know, probably in his 60s and he's developed a small business of 35 people. And he said it perfectly. He's like, he's just you know, surround yourself with great people and and great things happen. And I think that's a part of what it is to be uh, to create a team, which is first develop what is the the social norms that you think you want to. To create in your team, and then go hire people that best demonstrate those those types of uh, uh, similar cultural values, and uh, and instill those types of things. and And, and part of it is um, you know selecting those right people, and and equally um, getting rid of those people that maybe don't necessarily demonstrate uh, the core values of the team. They might be super talented. Uh, but they, they're not uh, you know, socially uh, in, in, in the same vibe, in the same uh, you know, cultural set of norms. Uh, so you've got to be willing to sometimes get rid of those types of people to, to establish it. But when I look at having my own business and having you know, five or six people or uh, leading a team of 250 people, um, I, I always look at the underlying success or failure that, of that group. And there's a lot of things outside of your control, but the, the cultural norms that you create and, and you don't as a leader create them, they, they do get created. But you start with a framework of, hey, you know, I always say to people, I, I have made enough money to retire, but I've made enough money to not have to deal with a-holes all the time, you know, or work with them. And uh, I think that that's kind of one, one of my underlying thesis is like, hey, I'm still willing to work 80 hours a week at 54 54 years old. I love what I'm doing. Um, but I, I won't do it for people that I don't think are good people. I can decide not to do that. Right. And, uh, I think th- those are the types of things that I try to instill in my team. Like, Hey, if we have this super talented engineer, but yet they're a terrible person to work with and they just don't fit into who we are and what we want to become, we need to get rid of that person. Cause if we allow that, well, excellence in their job, but inconsistency in and in, in the value and in, in instilling the values of our norms like then we we've got to move on from that person because if we we allow one jerk to be in the group then suddenly you know a couple other people who weren't normally jerks maybe become jerks or suddenly we start hiring a bunch of jerks and then they go wow this was a great company when it was 50 people but now it's 100 people and you know seven of them are jerks and they they suck all the life out of the out of the the out of the, um, uh, you know, out of the out of the fun factor of the company.
1: So I, th- this is one of the lanes I wanted to drive down with you uh, as a technology CEO, um, and, and you teed it up really nicely. Uh, I think that oftentimes in the technology space, there is an over-indexing on um, technical capabilities, especially, yeah. um, I mean, don't get me wrong. You got to build the tech. It's got to be good tech. It's got to work. It's got to do what you expect it to do. But yeah. sometimes even those folks who are poor fit, a poor fit for the culture get elevated within the enterprise. And the next thing you know, um, their their approach to leadership, their style of engagement, their attitudes are sometimes um, not helpful to team productivity. Uh, and yeah. I think a lot of times it gets overlooked. And, and I'm curious as to what, what your thoughts are about that uh, yeah. specifically as it relates to tech leadership.
2: Yeah, I think it is. It's rather nuanced because uh, you can have the best culture in the world; people love working here. They're willing to put tattoo the name of the company on themselves because they love working here so much. Uh, but if your if your tech doesn't you know differentiate itself, it doesn't solve a real world problem. Uh, you know, and or your pricing it doesn't align to your capabilities. That it, it you, know, you don't have a chance and and. The, And unfortunately, sometimes really good tech uh, with terrible cultures still wins the day. Now, flip that around, um, when I took over uh, three years ago, I said to Brett Settle, and I'll tell this story publicly because I've said it in front of the employees, and I know he won't mind. But uh, I said to me, Brett, tell me about the ThreadX culture. And he's like, I I don't even, it was like I was speaking Chinese to him. He's like, "I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like what? You know, people come to work, they do their job, they leave like yeah, but I'm like what what's it all about like you know what what you know how how do we demonstrate that when success how do we celebrate success or you know what does everybody like when they get together for a beer and it was like, yeah eh, eh, yeah you know, it was like didn't resonate and we had our company kick off at the beginning of this year and it was an awesome event uh in Newport, Rhode Island. And, uh, you know, by the end of it, I was just, I describe it as, cause we're, we are uh, almost, a, we call it as a virtual company. Cause we're, we're very distributed, but I, I called it handshakes to hugs over three days, mm-hmm. you know, first day, everybody's like, Hey, good to see you in person. Nice to see you. You know, the, the end of the third day after a couple of nights of big drinking and dinners and, and lots of, uh, team activities, you know, people are like, you know, hugging each other. And uh, and Brett at the end of the event or during the event says, you know, Gene asked me what culture was. I didn't know what it was. I look around today, I get, I get what culture is. And uh, we have very low turnover. Uh, We're blessed to have uh, you know, a team of people that stay with us for long periods of time. And that is about the culture. And, and uh, you know, we have our bumps and we have our, our rough, rough spots from a, from a business perspective, but we got unbelievable technology built by unbelievable people and i would say underlying that is i made a decision to help create that and i say help create that i can't be the only one who gives a crap about culturally we have a culture committee of employees that are that value try to make this a better place to work i do my one-on-ones i ask my team, my leaders and my managers to do one-on-ones so we've put in place things to help uh, create this thing but. I, I think the the best companies that I've been a part of it have had four things. They've had uh, uh, you know, money. Uh, they've had great leadership and a great culture. Uh, they've had a great product, and then they had unbelievable market timing. And uh, you know you can't control all those things, but at least you can control uh, the the team, the culture, and, and and if you if you control is a strong word, but if you you help to Uh, embrace it you help to to develop it uh it's a little spark that really can become a a really powerful energy within the company Uh, and that'll allow you to solve massively massive problems that at times feel like oh we're never going to be able to compete with this public company oh we're never going to be able to get that that uh, release out by that date but with a with a culture where people say hey your hard work is valued and and we don't start with no, we can't do it. We say yeah, let's go figure it out. Like those are the exciting parts of, you know, as a as a CEO of a fifty person company, uh, see those sparks started when three years ago that are are now so much embraced and a part of our our ethos. Uh, it's it's fun to be a part of it.
1: Yeah. So um, I love all the things you said about the the, the intentionality behind building culture and identifying it as as an important component of your oper- operability, right? You you see it as yeah. uh, uniquely intertwined with your ability to actually deliver um, uh, goods, services, tools, whatever it is that you guys are uh, engaging in in the market. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your introduction to leadership, um, your your status as a CEO and some of the things you've already said. Give me a clear indication that you're a what, what I would consider a relatively mature leader. In other words, you've you've yeah. seen You've seen a lot of what works and you probably have seen a lot yeah. of what doesn't work. When, when was the first time in your life when, when the subject of leadership really sort of hit home for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I go all the way back to it's uh, maybe a little cheesy, but it's it's important to me. So I'll still talk about it. But I, I think about all the way back to working at a movie theater and working for the manager of the movie theater, uh, working at uh, Tony's Pizza and there's an immigrant uh Lead, you know running this small business and 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 learning from them uh what it means to lead and direct and and also mentor and coach and uh, and give a shit about people um, you know that that was you know my first exposure to like okay hey, you know what you know you can have an impact on people's lives by simply. Uh, you know, caring about it. And th- that was early in my career that, that it was, I mean, starting out my first couple of jobs, I think that was meaningful. And then when I moved into working for some larger companies like Avid Technology or EMC, uh, as an individual contributor, seeing what I really liked about people that I worked for and equally things that I didn't like uh, working for people. Uh, EMC was a culture I absolutely loved and thrived in. Um, but I but I realized it, it was not for everybody, and it, it was pretty ruthless. You now again, I, for me that was great. I, I love the 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 there was no ambiguity in terms of what was happening, and they paid you a lot of money to work really hard. But I watched people get spit out of that thing who could have been good. They just need to be a little right. bit you know kind of coaxed along the first couple of months to let them figure it out, as opposed to just um and and i think that those are the types of things that uh early in my career getting to work with different types of leaders and learn different types of leadership styles that i that i ultimately started to cultivate uh who 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 i wanted to be as a leader uh and uh you know i i i I like to say that i i i want to be a coach uh, but at times you have to be a dictator like not everybody can make every decision and not everything can be uh democratic like sometimes when when a difficult decision needs to be made uh we can have um, we can have like you know serious debate and we can argue but once a decision's made decisions made and equally you know not everybody gets to participate and the majority doesn't always win and i think those are the types of things that you you, you learn with experience because when i first became a, a manager You've got that natural inclination of you're managing your friends, your coworkers, where your peers, and now you're suddenly in the position of the leadership and lots of things that I did incorrectly. You know, either under-indexing, you know, trying to say, "Hey, look, I'm not going to be like the other guy. I know you all know your job. I'm not going to do anything," and or over-indexing, trying to be like, "Hey, I'll help you close that deal. I'll get you know," and they're like, "Dude, so you got to start to develop." Your own level of confidence uh, in understanding uh, and and having a it's not instincts but a but a feel for those moments or or you know I'm I'm, I'm a feel guy but, or you look at the data and the data says hey look it's not going well you've got to go insert yourself into those types of situations and I think th- those are the types of things that you know again going back to the Tony's Pizza or the Crawford movie theater like early days of starting to get exposed to it and then working for some bigger public companies. And then you know starting, and I know this is a, a topic that you and I are super passionate about, as you get into your career, uh, whether as an individual contributor, as a leader, uh, establishing those mentors. And those mentors are not usually your direct line boss because there's gonna be a whole list of questions that you never wanna ask your first line boss. Right. You don't want your first line boss to know that you are an imposter that you don't know what you're doing in this job. You gotta fake it to them until you make it. But to your mentor, you can go to and say, look, I, I, I have this situation, I have to fire this person. I've never fired a person, what do I do? Or I've got this great performer who's a terrible cultural fit, what do I do? Like having those mentors and I've been absolutely, I know like you, cause we talked about it before, but absolutely blessed to have some of the smartest people Uh, go out of their way to help me, Uh, whether it's a good friend of mine like Tom Heiser, who I've known since I was 19 years old, or somebody like uh, a Bob Brennan or a Chris Lynch, who these names wouldn't mean much to our, but these are very, very successful high-tech executives who have absolutely gone out of their way to ensure that I'm successful. And and, and candidly, there was nothing in it for them uh, monetarily. It was purely because somebody did it for them and they wanted to pass it on so i think for early leaders uh going to find those people that are that are excellent at their job and uh and 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 investing your time and energy to to develop the friendship and and the trust that they're willing to give you their time and their guidance man i've saved years uh, of learning by simply sitting with smart people who say yeah Don't touch that third rail. You know, like, yeah, I know you wanna do that. That's gonna feel really good, but that's gonna cost you your job or that's gonna, you're gonna lose your team over it. Like, you know, those are the types of things that have made me um, enjoy my job more because I'm not having to recreate the world oil. But at 54, it's easy to um, reflect and know what impact that had. At 24, at 34, and I'm sure even at 44, there were many times where I was insisting on, "Now I'm going to do it in a new way," or "Hey, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to listen. I'm going to do just the opposite of what somebody told me." And I said to one of my friends, "You know, I I ultimately started to really make money in my life, and I've been really really blessed in in this industry to 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 be financially rewarded for some some of the things I've done. Uh, but it was ultimately stop trying to do it my own way." And, when somebody says, go there or don't do that, listen to them. And it's amazing what happens. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, you, you, you perfectly uh, went into the, the lanes of the mentoring and, and talked a little bit about how important it is. I almost veer away from the word mentoring. I, I, I like to think of the, the folks that I have in my life as a sort of a pseudo advisory board, uh, like my yeah. own person, my own personal yeah. uh, ca- yeah. counsel. Uh, of folks that I turn to uh, to help with some of these really, uh, really tough decisions. And sometimes, like you said, it's just bouncing off your approach to someone else to get a little bit of a sanity check on it as to whether or not it makes sense, whether it's a big decision or engaging with someone else on a, on a really difficult topic. Um, I know uh, from our earlier conversation that you spend uh, quite a bit of your own personal time and cycles providing that kind of the mentorship and advisory um, uh, piece to others. Tell me about why that's why you think that's so important, and why you spend the time doing that. Because I think it's important for people yeah. to hear, especially from a CEO.
2: Yeah, I, I would describe it first as I, I think I'm actually being selfish. Uh, and what do I mean by that? It's like I feel so good when I help somebody else that I almost feel guilty about. It, right? It's like I it, that really geeks me out. Like that I could make an introduction to somebody that I've known for a long time and uh, introduce them to to somebody else and and some young person gets a job because of it like that it's it makes me feel good that's why i do it um now the second piece of it is somebody you know and many many people took time out of their very busy schedules to spend time with me so i feel like the return is not i'm not going to give these people anything financially that they couldn't do on their own so I think my, my ROI to them is that I'm going to go give it to other people and, and make sure that uh, you know, we, we help other people be successful in, in this industry. I, I start with every year trying to help 30 people uh, get jobs. And why 30 people? I don't know. I just picked a number. And it can't be anybody that we hire. It doesn't count in the number. So it's like when a mom or a dad or a Facebook friend or a LinkedIn connection reached out to me, I do everything I can to try to help them get a job. Now, I'm not saying I, I'm a hundred percent, it's not a hundred percent. Not everybody who's ever reached out to me, I've ever helped, but, uh, but I do strive to, to be able to do that, uh, because it's, you know, it's, it can be lonely for somebody starting out in their career, especially in cybersecurity, where we have this weird anomaly of, we have 7,000 open positions. We tell all these young people go get your degrees, go get your certifications. And yet they can't get in because we as hiring managers put in these criteria, like entry level with four years of experience. Like So so we've got to do a better job there. But but I do think ultimately, you know, giving back to, to others, uh, it can make you feel good, it can make life feel more fulfilling. Uh, and it doesn't really cost me anything but time and, and it's time I'm willing to invest in others because people did it for me.
1: Yeah, outstanding. And and I I love that you put a number to it uh and and hold yourself accountable and and look to strive towards that. I I try and tell folks often about the importance of their network uh and the yes. willingness to reach out to their network and sort of don't wait until you need something to build the network that's going to deliver yes. what you need. Can you talk a little bit about what role that's played um for you? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean what, what's the uh, you know, don't get to the middle of the the, the desert to realize you need water, right? And uh, I've got a couple of friends I know. Every time they call me, um, it's not very often. And when they do, they need something, but no problem. They're my friends. I'll help them. But uh, it's it is much nicer to get a call once in a while when somebody doesn't need anything. Um, so when they do need something, they they, they can do that. And and it it goes to like interviewing, right? Or looking, or I should say, looking for a job, right? It, if you're just spinning up your network when you need something it's it's a little bit more difficult as opposed to think all those people reached out to you when they were looking for a job and you didn't do anything for them you didn't even respond and say hey you know can't help you but hope you're doing well i know it can be lonely like you feed those things when you don't need them uh there's a lot of reciprocation to it and i I'm going to sound really old now. I think I said I'm 54 years old. So I am really old in comparison to many of your listeners, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I think that the, you know, I, I enjoy uh, the virtual work environment. I do. I, 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 my commute to Boston can be an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. And the days I don't have to do it means you know I can do a lot more things productively. Um, but but I am fifty four and I have a robust network, and I get to meet great people like you, and it's, it's still happening and i and I think that I said to my my daughter uh, who works uh, for a public accounting firm, I said, you should go to the office as much as you can so that you can start to develop those friendships and i, I the story I tell is i I worked for a company for six weeks. And I didn't, uh, I didn't like the environment for for a multitude of reasons. But I really liked the guy who was second in charge there, uh, a guy by the name of Tony Prigmore, who's uh, part of a, an analyst firm, Enterprise Strategy Group. And and Tony and I, in six weeks, developed a friendship. And now that's 30 years ago. Uh, and for 30 years, we've done business together. I've helped mentor his sons. He's helped me at some of my darkest moments in my career. He's always open for lunch. You know, it's like this back and forth. And if I were just a zoom square at that company for six weeks, like. Yeah, yeah, there'd be no 30 year friendship. And, uh, you know, I think about all the people I worked with at EMC, Avid Technology, Avid Sports, uh, Resilient, like all these great companies that part of where I have lifelong friendships that were developed in an in, in interpersonal uh, point of view from, from being in person, being in the same office, traveling together and, and I think that's, that's the, um, yeah, it's probably a billion dollar company out there for somebody that can figure out how to replicate that um, when we aren't in person. Uh, yeah. And it's the informal part of it, right? The, um, you, you, you go on a Zoom today and it's all business. Like there's two seconds of small talk, it's like, Let's get it in. Let's get it out. Nobody wants to be here, but but we need to be there. And then we get off. Like that ability to have that conversation um, that uh, people normally used to have, uh, walking in the office on a Monday morning, leaving on a Friday. What are you doing on the weekend? How are the kids? What's going on? Oh man, you stub your toe. I, like all those little things that build uh, stronger bonds uh, with us as human beings isn't happening. I talked with one of my employees the other day. Great great team, team member, Uh and I uh, just said, what do you think the, the rest of the team thinks about uh, this this decision? And he says, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, I, I don't really talk to them. I know I get engineers are more introverted, but I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, no, I just do my thing, right? And it's like, that's the thing that uh, when we get back to the network effect, like, again, going back to my daughter, I said, to my daughter, I said, 20 years from now, you, you're not thinking 20 years in advance in, in the future, but." 20 years from now, all the people you're working for at that accounting firm, they're going to work for you. You're going to work for them. They're going to hire you. You're going to hire them. They're going to be able to give you advice that you didn't know. Like all those types of things that um, I think sometimes people think um, to be successful in their careers early on. I just have to be really good at my job. You know, I got to be great at selling. I got to be real marketing. I got to be great at writing code. I got to be ready, you know, whatever. But it's it's much more those intangibles um, that will make you successful long term. And equally, whether success is important to you or not, or monetary success is important to you or not, I think having a more fulfilled life is about interacting with as many people as you can, even if you're an introvert. Like a lot of hardcore introverts tell me this as well. Like they'll find different ways to it, but it's like that ability to be a part of the human race and give back and and or receive. I think that that's what I, I you know, again, as an older guy here, I could say it most worries me worries me about this virtual environment where there's a whole bunch of people who started their career uh, during COVID. Um, you know, some of them had never been in an office in a year and a half, don't know office etiquette. Um, you know, all those types of basic things that that you learn uh, early in your career or later in your career when you when you enter the business world. I think those are the things that are really interesting to me. Uh, in terms of again back to the original point of that network, if you invest in it, you feed it, you care about it and and most importantly the Ben Franklin principle, you're always giving to it. you're not looking to receive you're always giving to it. How can I help MK? How can I help this person? how can I, what can I what can I give to that person? if you continuously do that, the boomerang effect uh, of your network, when you're down and out and, and you've gotten fired from a job or laid off from a job, There'll be five people, 10 people, 50 people saying, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to help, help, you know, MK get a job right now. OK, boom, boom, boom. And I think that's that's the piece of it that, uh, again, in a virtual world, I just don't know how that's going to get replicated. But I'm sure uh, that generation will figure it out. And we had our own sets of challenges and things were different when we were. So it, it'll work itself out. But it's, it, it's, it's just something I do think about.
1: No, it's a, it's a fantastic observation. I've had conversations with others around, um, and I don't think we know the answer to this. And I think that's part of the point you were trying to make is that we don't know how this is gonna impact that current generation. You and I uh, had the benefit, I think, of, of both environments. So we've seen the, what, it, what you can do yeah. in person, networking, just right. like you said, the sidebar conversations, the things that people really bond over. Um, yeah. I, I'm a firm believer that in terms of team building, I think it's impossible to create that really strong tissue connectivity between teams without having some kind of in-person component. You you can build the business component, which is that hey, collectively we're looking at one another too deep. There's stuff we need to get done. We agree on the stuff, and we go do it. But when it comes to that real-world connectivity, uh, there's nothing I think is going to replace in-person. And I think that we will see the impact
2: of that over time as we move forward.
1: What's um, coming for? Yeah, go.
2: Oh, well, I was just going to say that uh, you know our four tenants are customer first, innovation, urgent accountability, and esprit de corps. And uh, I know you you'll know the term, but some uh, of our listeners it's it's teamwork in in amongst like you know it mili- it's a military term yeah. uh, that, that we borrowed from and, and it's spirit
1: say, spirit of the body
2: essentially. Yeah, right. It's yeah, yeah it's, translation. <laughs> yeah, and and I think about like. Even that for our culture, like in a virtual world, like how, how do we develop those things where people truly have the the bond, the ability to go to the end 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 of the world um, to to make something happen? And I I think that that's uh, it's it's hard to do. And, and we're I, I'm as I say that I'm I, I've uh, because of budget cuts, uh, the second half of the year we're not having our in-person second half of the year kickoff. And I'm like you know, are we really representing that, that uh, esprit de corps if, if we're not doing it. But anyway, I think that I agree with you very much that it's, it's so difficult, if not nearly impossible to build that level of camaraderie, um, that, that feeling that you can accomplish anything as a team in, in this virtual environment. Yeah.
1: Um, it, one of the questions I get frequently is the the jump that folks would like to make from what might be considered manager um senior leader to those executive levels i i get huh. a lot of sidebar conversations with people who are just they feel like they're stuck at that uh at that mid-management level and, and huh. they're not getting looked at for vp positions they're not getting huh. looked at for those svp opportunities what do you think is the biggest barrier for po- for folks to make that that next yeah. level leap into leadership positions
2: yeah i i think i just um posted um something on executive security podcast about this uh, it was a the question was what's the worst advice you were ever given and I remember going to a manager uh, saying hey I wanted to start the interview for a manager role and uh, that that manager said to me like hey you know you got to realize who you are and that is you're 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 a great individual contributor you're not management material and uh, within about a month I quit that job because what I realized was, I wasn't management material in his eyes, and he was projecting that across the company. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Jack Sweeney, another very successful uh, Boston uh, entrepreneur, uh, VC, he gave me some of the best advice. He said, sometimes you got to get out of the box. He said, and again, at this particular job, I was in a box and it said that I am a very good individual contributor. I am not a manager. And that in particular company, I ended up leaving. I started my own business, did it for about a year and a half. It didn't succeed, but I I, I had a lot of fun and I, you know, I'll never look back and wonder what happened. I, I did it, it didn't succeed. I ended up joining another company. That company was then acquired by uh, the original company and I went back as a VP. So I was an individual contributor. I did my own thing for a year and a half. I joined this company as the VP of sales and then I get acquired, and now I'm a VP. Now, that's not advice on how you become a, a VP, per se. Like, you hope that you you join a company that then gets acquired, and you end up as a VP. But the point uh, of the story was I would have never become a VP or it would have taken me 10, 12, 15 years at this large company to become a VP at, at the pace at which I was going. But by taking risk and, and, and doing something, uh, I ultimately got out of the box and then and went back to the company. So I, I think the advice is, is if you're really in the box and they think you are just a great mid-level manager, <clears throat> sometimes you got to go somewhere else to get that jump um, because they just paint you the picture. And again, having been an individual at this company, leave and come back as a VP, there were people at the company who go, oh, you're not really a VP well, let me double check my business card. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no, I am. Like no, no, because, but they, again, tried to jam you back in the box. And at that point I I didn't have to worry about it because I'd see. So I think it's it's looking at how long you can be successful at the role. And, and I, I think about uh, having been acquired by uh, IBM. Um, there were people that were there 30 years before they became an executive. And, and I think there were some talented people and. That seems like a long time to, to achieve it, but that was their journey, right? They, they loved being a part of IBM and, and they were willing to put in the time and it, it took them maybe not 30s and ago, but 25 years uh, of being at the company before they, they got to that executive level. Um, so I think you have to decide what's your journey, right? And for me, uh, the journey was about uh, moving up. Now, candidly, sometimes I push too hard. I took a, 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 a title with a bad company and it, it didn't work out uh, or sometimes I was more uh, focused on the the next thing I didn't do my current job well enough. So it's like, wh- why should I get that job? Because I wasn't doing my current job well enough. So I think those are the types of things you have to start to think, think about. You know, I, I, I don't want to say from the beginning, but very, very early, I knew I wanted to be a CEO. That, that was maniacally focused on what I wanted to become uh, for a long period of my time and uh, you know ha- happy that, that I've achieved it uh, but it's you know it's a it's a rocky bumpy road along the way um, to be able to figure out you know how, how to do that so I think per the, the succinct advice would be is you got to think about what others think of you in this individual role and can you change that? um if you can't change that then unfortunately either accept it and maybe eventually it works itself out you get a part of a project and they really see what you can do and that, that's a great trajectory and or you might have to look at it and go like look they're never going to see me as a vp they just see me as a senior manager and at that point you've got to you got to make your decision and that decision might be to go someplace where they do view you as a as a manager and that can be really fulfilling i I've, I've had so many friends who were really uh, bound into and, and, and in a box, and and when they go to this new company, they go they value my opinion. You know, the CEO's asking me questions, and when I give answers, they're like, "That's cool, right?" They, they've unlocked themselves, but uh, it's there's no there's no right or wrong answer to it. Uh, you just got to make decisions, and 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 when they work out, they do, and if they don't, you got to course correct to, to keep course correcting to keep course correcting.
1: So that, that's some really awesome advice. And I, and I want some of the listeners to take away the other aspect that you didn't mention by name, but there's a certain amount of risk involved. I think sometimes when yeah, you yeah. when you make those decisions, and you have to be ready to assume yeah. the risk of as in your example, taking a step outside of an organization where you're maybe yeah. pigeonholed, and, and you just have yeah. to know, it's going to work out.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's scary. I mean, literally not to underestimate it. When I left um emc the first time um it was uh three kids uh two in diapers finishing up my mba uh and i go to start my own company like i had a, a good paying job and Anne marie was like yeah and my wife's like yeah okay go for it and, uh, yeah i had her total support but man it is taking that leap of faith and uh and it's lonely, and it's uncertain, and there's plenty of self-doubt. Uh, but so, yeah, and, and that was. But but I had the risk tolerance to be able to do that. If you don't think you have the risk tolerance to do that, and/or your partner doesn't have the risk tolerance to do that, don't underestimate those of uh, those listeners that have a partner. You, you got to have the risk tolerance of the of the weaker of the not weaker of the two, the lesser of the two, right? If your right. partner doesn't have the risk tolerance because things probably won't go right in the beginning when you switch jobs or when you start something in the beginning and there could be some self-doubt and, and you don't need somebody in your ear going, yeah, that was really stupid. Like, why aren't we making this, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, yeah. you so,
1: but yeah. You touched on something else that's really important. It's actually the subject of a blog that I have coming out uh, in the next week for my uh, leadership student newsletter. And that is what, what I simply call, begin with the end in mind, um, you know, identify, professionally where you see yourself uh, and yeah. then work backwards from there and literally make the decisions and choices that you need to make in order to get there. If, if, if the, if the end, in end result resonates with your spirit and where it is that you're yeah. headed as an individual, you will make the decisions you need to make in order yeah. to get
2: there. Yeah. I yeah, think I that's mean. really well, yeah, really well said. And I, I, I am a very goal oriented person. I, I like to write down my goals every year and and uh, you know, some of them are short term, some of them are long term, uh, but it at least gives you some North stars. Right. If we if you, you know, I'll, I'll use for our listeners, uh, you know, if you don't have any sort of a North star in your career, it's like going to look for a new place to live. Well, if you have no North stars and where you're going to live, you'll be looking in New York City, you'll be looking in D.C., you'll be looking in Iowa, you'll be looking in Alaska, you'll be looking in Paris, like like you know, that that's what happens with a career with no north stars at all. And I'm not saying every plan works to perfection. And th- there's no necessarily happy endings in every everything that we do. But if you really start and say, look, I want to become uh, a VP of engineering. That's that's my. You know, I'm, I'm starting out, but I think that's what I do. Or hey, I'd really like to start my own tech company. Or I'd like to start my own fudge company. Wh- whatever. That's that's my north star. I don't know how I'm going to go from here, but that's my north star. And then make decisions and the trade-offs with those decisions. Um, you'll feel at least you have a semblance of moving in the right direction. And or when you're not moving in the right direction and you feel really that stomach churning, like oh why do I feel so out of sorts? Because you'll know it's because hey I said my north star's here, but I'm I'm heading I'm heading south. Like and it does you know so okay you'll know why. So so I think those are the types of things that, and you don't have to have it all mapped out and it's not all a journey of straight lines and up and to the right. And again, happy endings. They'll, there'll be, you know, things where it won't go well. Uh, and that's okay. You know, course correct and, and keep moving on. There'll be people you work for who aren't good people and that'll be really tough. And you'll learn a lot from that. You'll probably make you the best, you know, You'll probably learn more that uh, from a really bad manager than any great manager you've ever worked for, Absolutely. because you'll you'll really understand what you don't like about what that person does or doesn't do, and the chances of you replicating that behavior are pretty low. Um, so I think those you know you'll when you're in pain, your body and your mind will naturally force you to try to get out of those pain points. Those are learning moments, and uh, you know so if you've got a job where you're really unhappy. Use that energy to go figure out your north star and get you know get your one step closer to what your north star is and I think in the latter part of my career the the harder part is it's I've always chased the bone I have a friend of mine said that um, and, and and suddenly you get the bone and you go what's next and you know, oh what's next what's next so it's I think again yeah, later in life bone. What, yeah exactly <laughs> what I, what I'm starting to do like is uh, you know, I don't meditate, but I run a lot and uh, people tell me it's very similar. So what I've really focused on lately is just enjoying the run and not the beginning of the run, the end of the run, the middle, just when I'm running, what what steps I'm the about journey. to take. You know? Yeah, yeah and, and the journey and be in the moment of that journey. And I think, again, that mistakes that I made, really big mistakes I made early in my career was I was so fixated on when I was an individual career, I want to be the manager manager. I want to be the director. I want to be a senior director. I want to be a VP. And um, you know, I, I'm happy to say that I, the, the, the job that really changed that for me was a company called Resilience Systems. And it was a five and a half year journey. And I enjoyed every second of it. Um, and 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 that was and then it went to, to human. And it had uh, another company had its own quirks, but I enjoyed the journey. And now ThreadX. I've, so I don't know if you, you have to get into your late 40s or 50s uh, to start to enjoy the journey a little bit more. But again, another piece of, of advice is, you know, when you have a great job, you have a great manager, you, you know, you're you happy and content. Don't be afraid to be happy and content. Don't don't be so in a hurry to, to move to the next thing. I've got a great friend of mine who does tremendously well in, in, in high tech sales and uh, I was having dinner with him and he said, well, you know, I, I got to go back into management. I said, why? I said, you know, you're you're you know, you're five six away, years away from retirement. Why do you think you have to get back into management? I said, you hate people. I said, you love your customers, but you hate employees. Like you hate sales. For, like he's like, yeah. I'm like, why do you feel like? Because somebody said you're supposed to. Like, financially, you're not going to do any better. Like, and he's you're kind of reorganized reorganizing, but it's a uh, again. I said, enjoy the journey. You got a great job, great company, great technology. Uh, unbelievable customer relationships. Why mess with that? Right. That's okay too. Enjoy that journey.
1: Love it. Yeah. Uh, Gene, in order to, to wrap up, I've been talking to all of my guests around, uh, um, whether or not leaders are born or made, I know it's a little bit of a trivial question, yeah. but historically one that people have varying opinions on. What are yeah. your thoughts on, uh,
2: born or made argument and leadership? So, I, 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 I'll come back to it in a second, but I'll start with, uh, it, it took me a while to realize everybody doesn't want to lead because you know and, and you know when you have your own set of glasses on you think oh everybody thinks just like you so i always thought everybody wants to lead and then i realized no there's quite a few people who are very content to just follow or do their own thing they don't want to lead anybody they just want to do their own thing um but lots I did, of
1: individual contributors out there in the world
2: <laughs> who are awesome and they're great at their job and you know they've they, they, they would you know they they have no desire to do that so it it, it was just an interesting learning for you know, mid mid of my career that everybody didn't want to be the ceo or everybody didn't want to be the vp uh but i think it is a it's a combination of both i i've i, I think that there is something innate you know going back to to cavemen and like you know at a certain point there were there was somebody who had to the lead the group that, to decide to explore larger areas and I don't think that was a group decision. I think there was, you know, so I think there's some basic instincts of of leaders and followers. Um, but but with that being said, even if you don't start with that instinct, if the desire is there, I think it is a bunch of learned skills. Um, you know, so I'd like, you know, writing, you know, learning a new language uh, is, is a learned skill. So I think there are people that maybe it's not natural, there are natural leaders who, you know, if they were cavemen, they'd be leading, leading the, leading the group to to another part of the the world. Uh, but I think, you know, in a in a self actualized world uh, where people can learn new skills, um, I think that people can ultimately learn to be great leaders. If that's you got to start with the desire uh, right. as, as the underlying premise. So, but if you you're not natural at it, but you desire to do that. I think there, there are plenty of people who can become great leaders putting their time in.
1: Gene, uh, fascinating gems. Uh, I appreciate your engagement and the level of conversation. I knew the conversation would be this good. The time has run by, as I expected. It has, thank
2: you. Yeah, for um, sure.
1: Uh, what, what do you want to leave folks with? Uh, and it can certainly be anything you want to talk about, leadership yeah. or, or Red X or otherwise.
2: I mean, I just say, you know, have fun in life, really enjoy your career, enjoy your family, uh, be in the moment, you know, take take advice from a 54-year-old and uh, in- enjoy what you do. And, and know there are lots of people like you and me out in the world that are willing to help. So if, if you're in a bad situation, whether it's career or life, reach out. There are people who will answer and, and do everything they can to try and help help somebody get out of, the, out of the pain of the moment or help them be successful in their career. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of doom scrolling going on on the internet that makes us believe the world is a terrible place. Uh, but again, I, I the absolute pleasure of talking with you uh, knowing you're a good human being and I hope to strive to be the same. Um, so so uh, know that there are good people out there who are looking out and, and want you, uh, our listeners to be successful.
1: Outstanding. Uh, that's it for this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast. Thanks to my guest, Gene Faye, CEO of ThreadX, uh, and thanks to the listeners. We'll see you guys next time on the Leadership Student Podcast.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmer, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.